Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, how are you? Lovely. How are you? I'm doing all right, uh, in part because we are also joined by Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I'm good. It is currently raining pretty badly uh, here in the greater Chicago area, so apologies if you hear the lovely sounds of gentle rain on the window behind me. Well, now I have to make sure, yeah, it looks like that's not going to be coming through to Columbus. So that's that's all, all I care about. Uh, unlike those Nittany Lions, they're going to be coming through to Columbus. Am I right, folks? Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I really pulled that one out of, uh, out of thin air. Uh, let's talk about them Nittany Lions. In, in particular, let's talk about the Penn State defense heading into the 2021 season. By this point, you've heard the first two podcasts that we have done to preview this season, uh, discussing Penn State's offense and discussing Penn State's schedule. What we want to do now is take uh, kind of the format that we took for the Penn State offense pod and put that towards a defense podcast. Last year, Penn State's defense ended the season number 14 uh, in defensive SP plus, uh, Brett Pry- Brent prize unit, uh, had a couple of struggles. It seemed to start the year, but ended up figuring things out, uh, as the year went along. The Nittany Lions were, uh, sixth, I believe in the big 10 in points allowed per game. They were third in the big 10 in yards allowed per game, uh, fourth in rushing defense, second in passing defense, a couple of losses uh, to the NFL draft. Uh, The obviously lost Micah Parsons, who did not play last season, but the team lost Odafe Owe to the Baltimore Ravens and Shaka Tony to the uh, Washington football team. And Nick, I'll start with you, but when we talk about this Penn State defense, and we're just going to say generally how we're we feeling about it, I think my view is that if they can figure out some stuff that they need to figure out with their defensive front, that there are basically three dudes along the defensive line who are something of unknowns. But if they can figure that part of things out, I feel like the back seven of this Penn State defense is going to just make life really, really difficult for other teams. Yeah, when it comes to the defense, there's really only two things that I feel like I really need answers to. I feel pretty solid about everything else. Um, I want to know if Brandon Smith is ready to take the next step at linebacker. Um, that's, that's a big question for me. And then I want to know who is going to be one of the stalwarts at defensive end. I don't even care about both. I feel if they have one guy that can be, um, kind of the, kind of the bell cow as the pass rusher, then I, I, I think everything else works out fine, but those are really my only two questions. I think the secondary has a chance to be pretty fantastic. I mean, Joey Porter jr. Was awesome last year while he was healthy we know that Tariq Castro Fields can be a really, really, really good cornerback again when healthy. And I mean, it doesn't even it doesn't stop with those two guys. Like there's so much depth behind them all the way down to true freshman Kalen King. Like there is a lot of star power all over this defense. And I have those two questions about it, but I'm not worried about this unit at all. I think this is going to be a pretty elite defense. Yeah, we'll end up going 
uh, position by position and talking about reasons for optimism and pessimism in a second. But Matt, kind of the same thing to you. What are just your overarching thoughts on this Penn State defense? They're really strong at, at places they haven't been strong at in a long time, like especially corner. I think they're this is probably the deepest cornerback room I've seen um, since I've been following the team. And same thing at defensive tackle. Like um, getting Derek Tangelo was a humongous, humongous get because I feel like a lot of the time when it's come to guys you plug in there for a year, mainly like the, the Tyrell Chavis kind of role, it's really been a guy who's just there for depth. But Tangelo, you brought in, I think, to start, and then you have a ton of depth behind him. So I think it's it's going to be very different um, just in terms of what they're able to do and what they're going to be good at just because they're strong where they're not normally strong. But I think that's what makes this season, especially this defense, so interesting and so much fun to me. So I think this is going to be a good unit again. Um I think it has to be great for Penn State to uh, to get to the Big Ten championship game, uh, if not elite. But overall, I think this is going to be another solid Brent Pride coach defense that I, I'm excited to see. Yeah, I, my one overarching thought about this defense is that it, it's kind of interesting because I feel like the line with Penn State's defense is that, you know, you – whether or not this is fair or not, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm sure someone has a much better read on this than me, but it's always just kind of felt like they will I, – I'm sorry, I have a dog trying to climb on me right now. Uh, it, it's felt like they are always really, really stout against the run. Like Penn State's defense, year in and year out, is going to be able to stop you from running the football on it. The question comes in whether or not they're able to get off the field on – third and six, third and seven, third and eight, third and nine situations, which has, whether or not that's fair or not, I don't know, but that's just what I've always gotten the sense Penn State fans feel. Even in those third and long situations, not going to be able to get off the field. Well, I feel like that's kind of reverse slash uh, this year. I mean, Matt, you raised the point about good at things they're not normally good at, to whatever extent that's true. I think that definitely applies to the fact that this Penn State passing defense should be very, very good. They have a wealth of talent at cornerback. They have Jaquan Brisker, who, listen, I'm not going to say I thought he was a bad player, but it was very humbling to me to start seeing Jaquan Brisker make a bunch of like preseason All-American teams. Like, shout out to him for what he's uh, what he's done and the way he's been able to make himself into a national name. And they, you know, they have some questions about that safety spot next to him, but there is enough talent at corner and with brisker safety spot that they should be fine. Second, uh, linebackers, they have speed, they have athleticism, they have big rangy dudes. And we assume a guy in the middle in Ellis Brooks is really good at organizing defense, getting guys in position, diagnosing plays, stuff like that. So I feel like it's going to be hard to throw on Penn State, but it has some questions up front that we were talking on the offensive podcast about the questions we have about, say, Sean Clifford in the quarterback room. If there's one thing I feel good about, it's that Brent Pry is going to be able to coach up a run defense. And while there is, you know, outside of P.J. Mustafer, it's question mark after question mark after question mark and how they fit in this Penn State team. You know, not to take away from what Derek Tangelo and uh, Arnold Abiquete have done at their previous stops, but 
I, I, one of you, correct me if I'm wrong. It's very hard for me to feel like, even with how unproven that defensive line is, even with, uh, you know, the fact that Adisa Isaac sounds like he's going to be out for the year. It's very hard for me to think that Penn State's not going to be able to win battles up front and make life easier on that back seven. I, do either of you disagree, um, you know, based on the fact that there's been a bit of a talent drain up front? Uh, I don't disagree. All right, cool. I don't disagree. Um, I think it's just going to have to be different. I think they're going to be really creative with blitzes. And I think they have the athletes to do it. Um, I just think it's going to look different than what we're used to. Um, I think a guy like Brandon Smith and a guy like Curtis Jacobs can really be one of your main pass rush guys as opposed to complementary pieces, which we've seen from outside linebackers in the past. Um, but but as a whole, in terms of stopping the run, this is something that Brent Pry is known how to do. Like Penn State does not get gashed on the ground game very often. John Scott Jr., um, I think, has really turned into a pretty good hire. He's technically developed uh, two first-round picks at, uh, on the defensive line. Um, I believe it was Kinlaw at South Carolina Kinlaw, and Owe yeah. here last year. So, yeah, he has a track record uh, of getting dudes to be productive. Um, I, I think this is going to take a little bit of time. I don't love that, you know, Wisconsin is looming like 11 days away, but I think that they can be creative enough to cover up a lot of their mistakes until more guys start to feel comfortable and, and really get their feet under them. I think that's right. Nick, you have uh, anything to add there? Or should we, uh, you want to move on? No, not a ton to add. Just, yeah, I mean, I, there's, the only thing this defense is really missing from last year's defense is the pass rush presence. And it's not like anybody aside from Shaka Tony was putting up, was doing anything remarkable in the sack department. I think we all know how big of an impact Jason Oa, sorry, Odafa Oa had behind the line um, without getting the sacks. But it's not like anybody was producing these outstanding backfield plays in a way that is not replaceable by somebody else that's currently on the roster. So when you think about it that way, like the defense should only be better basically everywhere else. So I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty good reason for optimism for me. Yeah. This gives me, you know, mentioning the pass rush thing and how they didn't get home. Like a thing that, uh, you know, I'm going to plug something I did in the lead up to the NFL draft over at the nine to five, where I spoke to Micah Parsons and Micah basically said, Teams were doing a lot more dropbacks, a lot more quick passes, dumps, quick slash outruns and things like that, basically because they knew that Penn State's defensive line was so talented that they were going to get home and they just needed to get the ball out of their hands. And I think that was easier because of the relative inexperience that Penn State had at corner and had at its linebacker positions, which really the only guy that had real uh, game action at linebacker being a guy like Ellis Brooks, who you know, for how good of a player he is, he's not exactly someone who's going to be able to fly around and make plays and do stuff like that. So just he's going to somehow lead this team in like interceptions, though, and it's going to be really funny. <laughs> that dude always finds turnovers. I really, really hope that happens. Yeah, he, he's he's a guy who knows where to be. He knows he's a guy who knows uh, what position he needs to uh, needs to find himself in. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about him in a second. Uh 
Instead, what I want to do here, Nick, is go into what we did with our offensive podcast. Biggest reason for optimism, biggest reason for pessimism. Same rule is going to apply here. You can only pick one thing. You can't go through a list. It can only be one reason that you are optimistic about this Penn State defense this year. What is it? The secondary. I think this is going to be the best secondary Penn State's had, similar to the offensive line like we talked about. I think this is going to be the best secondary Penn State's had in quite some time. I think that Tariq Castro-Fields and Joey Porter Jr. are both bona fide NFL players. I'm not going to make a prediction on what round they eventually get picked in, but I think they are legitimate NFL talents. Uh, We've heard nonstop about how impressive Kalen King has been already. He's going to get on the field as well, but... That's not even to mention guys like Daquan Hardy, who is always somebody who's going to need time, but the skills are there and he's just going to continue filling out his frame and continue to be more important. Um, It's just there's Jair Brown next to uh, Jaquan Brisker at the safety position. It's just there's so much talent in that secondary and it's different from years past because they always have talent in the secondary, but it's never really manifested itself on the field. We saw it manifest on the field last year. We saw two different cornerbacks perform at all Big Ten caliber levels. I I don't know the last time Penn State had two cornerbacks that were at that level. Maybe in uh, 2016 when they had Grant Haley and, um, oh no, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, kid from Alabama. Um, Christian Campbell. Christian, Christian Campbell. Campbell. Thank you. Oh my God. I'm sorry, Christian. Um, but yeah, this is, I think this is going to be the most talented secondary they've had in a, quite a bit. And that's the biggest reason for me. Uh, Matt, same question uh, to you. If there is one specific reason for optimism that you have, what is it? I would say the secondary, um, but I don't want to, I don't just want to echo what Nick just said. So I'll go a little bit in a different direction and I'll say it's that Penn State's linebackers across the board are maybe the most talented they've been since James Franklin's gotten there, like top to bottom um, in terms of people who are going to see meaningful reps. And I get that's a lot of projecting. I I think Brandon Smith is going to be great at the will. And I think Curtis Jacobs is going to be great at the Sam. Like the Sam's the dude who really does more in coverage. And and, um, Curtis Jacobs was mostly a safety in high school. And I think those skills are going to transfer over really well. Well, and then I've always been a fan of Ellis Brooks. I mean, your middle linebacker never has to be your best athlete. And and that's definitely not Ellis Brooks, but the dude tackles well. The dude finds the football like each guy has their own unique role that each of them have proven they can be good at or have the skill set that shows that they can be good at whatever new role they're about to have. So I think this could be a really big year for Brent Pry. Uh, I don't know if his. His stock is going to get much higher um, if Penn State's defense has the year that I think it can have. Uh, so we'll see exactly what that means. But as a whole, I'm I'm really excited to watch that starting linebacker unit and, and really watch them take a big step forward. Uh, I'm going to echo a sentiment about Penn State's secondary, uh, but I'm going to hyper-focus it on the cornerbacks. To me, this this cornerback group is very, very, very good. I, I mean, one thing that I think we've kind of forgotten as we've talked about them is that, yeah, 
We know Tariq Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. are both uh, talented cornerbacks. I mean, we're, we're waiting to figure out what side of the football Marquise Wills is going to be playing. It sounds like he's going to be moved away from it. But Daquan Hardy, like uh, like Nick mentioned, is a guy who has played, uh, you know, been in the program for a bit. Uh, Kalen King has been getting rave reviews. But then you look at two guys that they added that we've spoken a lot about transfers on the offensive side of the football. We've kind of forgotten that Penn State added uh, John Dixon, uh, formerly of uh, the University of South Carolina, who played a decent amount of football for them, and A.J. Litton, a former top 50 uh, recruit at Florida State, who is uh, transferred up to Happy Valley. So the sheer amount of talent that they have in that room, and then just the bodies the sizes of the dudes they have in there. Litton, 5'11", 180. Joey Porter, 6'2", 192. Tariq Castrofield, 6'194", and rangy. Johnny Dixon, 6'186", and rangy. Kalen King, 5'11", 183, really built like a cornerback already. Like, you know, this is not – I will be the person to do this and not Nick. This is not like those old Seahawks uh, units where everyone seemed like they were, you know – 6'4 and built like Lamar Stevens, but it's a cornerback room. They with, were, by the way. They, they it, it was very, who, who is it? Uh, it, it wasn't Sherman. Sherman. Browner. Browner, that, that's right. Uh, so you look and at. And backup, By- Byron Maxwell. That's right. And so you look at just what they have in this unit in terms of talent, in terms of physical profiles, in terms of skill sets. And I think this is going to be a secondary that, you know, obviously they're going to go up against Ohio State and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to get theirs, that sort of thing. But they're going to be able to just punk opposing wide receivers. And with the issues that I think Penn State's pass rush might have this season, being able to have that extra second because you're able to leave your cornerbacks on islands and they're able to take care of business is going to be something invaluable for Brent Pry, for John Scott, and for those guys that they're going to have uh, up along the defensive line. Uh, when it comes to our biggest reason for pessimism, for me, it's the unprovenness of the guys up front. I mean, you look at who they have there. P.J. Mustafer is a very good football player. Fred Hanser has been in the program forever, but has always been a bit of a role player, uh, now being asked to shoulder a bigger load. Uh, Derek Tangelo was a productive player at Duke last season, 28 tackles, four for loss, two sacks, uh, three forced fumbles. Uh, that, Hakeem Beeman, I'm, I'm going to mention him before, I'm sure at some point um, Matt is going to speak for 10 uninterrupted minutes about him. But they have... I have a, a note card ready to go for Hakeem Beeman talk. <laughs> Don't you worry. I literally have a... Whatever, note card, whatever it's called. Post-it note, you know what I mean. So they... Like, they have a lot of bodies there, and it's just you have the proven guy in muster, and that's figuring out whatever the hell is going to be next to him and how those roles are going to play out. Then you move to defensive end. You know, losing two guys to the NFL is always going to hurt. And then you lose Adisa Isaac, who I think everyone kind of had pegged as the breakout candidate there. That's a really gigantic loss, and that's going to be a bit of a minefield for Penn State to have to navigate. Uh, but then you look at the guys that they have on their roster. Nick Tarburton has been in forever and is going to be getting 
apparently been looking pretty decent if he can stay healthy. A uh, question about him that we will uh, we will end up getting to. Arnold Ebiketti has, you know, was a very nice player at Temple last year. 42 tackles, 8.5 for loss, 4 sacks. Uh, and then a lot of young guys who need to be molded behind them. And also Jesse Lukita, who we will see uh, what's what his role is going to be on this team. So it's just those question marks. Um, it's a lot of stuff that you need to get right. And the fact that they're going to be going up against a Wisconsin team that, you know, week one, that for all you can say about Wisconsin is going to be really good in the trenches, just a big time trial by fire early on. I guess that is my source, uh, biggest source of pessimism. Uh, Matt, what about yourself? Uh, I'd agree with a lot of the things that you would say. I will mix it up a bit, though, and say I'm pretty nervous about the other safety spot opposite Jaquan Brisker, because I think that's the one thing holding this secondary back from probably straight up being the best in the conference. And I think there's two realistic options left at this point for that job, and it's Jair Brown, a Juco guy who, who really didn't play a ton his first year on campus because he didn't practice with the team like he he was basically a guy they brought in I don't think he early enrolled he came in his entire Penn State career so far had been COVID affected and and then you have Keaton Ellis and I think Keaton Ellis is a really talented guy um, and that experience is definitely valuable but it takes time to learn safety uh, I, I know he was there for a bit in the spring but, but those game reps are, are something that you need to be successful so I'm a bit nervous about that I, I'm curious about Sutherland in that role but it sounds like he's a security blanket at linebacker as well. So I don't think he's really in like a, a position to push for the starting job. And then the wild card there is, is Tyler Rudolph. And he's getting really good stuff coming out of camp. But again, the reps just aren't there. So that's something they need to sure up. I think they can probably rotate the four guys I mentioned throughout Wisconsin. And then if there are certain specialty packages or certain situations, they probably have a set guy to go to. But that's something they have have to work out pretty quickly um, if they really want to want the secondary, especially to hit its ceiling. Uh, and then Nick, same question to you. I, I guess it's the pass rush, specifically the edge rushers, the defensive ends. I, I just, you know, I think there are still legitimate questions about Brandon Smith in coverage. And we saw flashes from Curtis Jacobs last year, but he didn't play very much. So it's we can't really say for sure that he's ready to be kind of that guy all around the field as a linebacker as well. I think he will be, but we don't know for sure. And just having having some good, consistent pressure off the edge would just take so much pressure off those linebackers. And it would really allow for pride to get to do whatever he wants with Smith and Jacobs, which you know, that those are two of the most athletic players in the entire country and having the freedom to be able to do fun things with them would be a really, really positive thing for the defense. So I guess it's the defense events. Like I said before, I'm really, I don't really have much reason for pessimism for the defense in general. Um, I do think the defense events will be fine, but it's obviously not a sure thing. So that'll be my answer for that. And that, that's a good segue into talking about the three levels uh, on an individual basis of Penn State's defense. And Nick, let's just start with the defensive line as a whole. I mean, that's kind of been the thing that's gotten 
the I'd say the lion's share of whatever negative focus that we have here, it seems to me like they're going into this season with more uncertainty there than ever. But at the same time, you know, this isn't like, you know, just as an example, this isn't like the questions that we have at quarterback because this is something that we've just seen work out for Penn State every year. And it's easy to be pessimistic, but I think it's hard to be, you know, five alarm fire worried. Yeah, it's yeah. Like I said before, I like I'm just really not like PJ Mustafer is a top two round NFL prospect. I have zero doubt of that. Um, And then at the very least, like we know that they could play Fred Hansard as a space eater next to him and be just fine. Fred Hansard has performed perfectly well in the time that he's gotten on the field. But they have guys with even more upside than that. Derek Tangelo should be able to be a potential difference maker. We still haven't really seen too much yet from Devon Ellis or Aeneas Hawkins or uh, younger, even younger guys like Cole Brevard, who I think has a chance to be really, really good. And then there's Hakeem Beeman. I'll steal a little bit of Matt's thunder and talk about Beeman for a second. To me, How dare the, you? To me, the fact that he that they have pretty much, it sounds like, pretty much maintained that he is a defensive tackle and pretty much only a defensive tackle. They haven't really been trying him on the edge. One, that tells me, that that makes me a little more optimistic about the edge because we know that Beam is a special talent. So if they feel like they don't need to use him as a defensive end, I think that bodes well for uh, that group in general. But I think it also says a lot about how highly they view Beam as a defensive tackle. And I think we're always kind of we're perpetually searching for the next kind of defensive tackle combination at Penn State. We've seen so many of them. I feel like I say this every year, but we saw Devin Still and Jordan Hill. We saw Anthony Zettel and Austin Johnson. We saw Curtis Cothran and Parker Cothran, like those just really natural combinations of guys. And PJ Mustafer and Hakeem Beeman can absolutely be that next combination. They're, they're both guys who can get to the passer if they need to, but Mustafer has the ability to be a little bit more of a space eater, and Beeman definitely seems to fit more of the Kevin Givens mold, being a guy who's a little undersized but is so strong and violent with his hand movements that he can get past any interior blocker. Like I think those two alone, like if those two can be what we think they can be and they can push the pocket back, who it is rushing off the edge doesn't really matter as much anymore because when you're forcing a quarterback back as much as those two could potentially be doing, anybody can get to the guy. Anybody can get to the quarterback there. Like PJ Mustafer and Hakeem Beeman for me are the reasons that I, I'm not worried about the defensive line. Uh, same, kind of the same thing to you. Um, Matt, are you at the same level of just hilariously unbothered that Nick is, or is your guard up a tiny bit more? My guard's up a, a bit more because I think it's it's a very fluid situation. I'm going to rattle off some measurements for a guy on Penn State's defensive line, and I want you to tell me who this person is. Six- wait, Matt, Matt, wait, wait, wait. Is it Joseph Apaya Darkwa? Uh, I should have put Joey Darkwa in here too. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even think of it. I don't think it's NIL deal. I forgot. Oh, I should have put Joey Darkwa in here just to throw you off. That would have been way funnier. Um, I love Joey Darkwa. I hope he plays. Anyway, 
Uh, all right, I'm going to name, I'm just going to list a player's measurement on the Penn State defensive line. You tell me who it is. Ready? 6'3", 256. Who is that? 6'3", 256? Yep. 6'3", uh, 256. I will go with uh, either Amin Vanover or Smith Bilbert. Hawkins. No, he's not that tall. I take that back. Okay. Izzard. It is not. That is Arnold Epichetti. Hmm. Woo! Coming in at 6'3", 256. And I'm going to give you another player. Uh, and his, this is Bryce Mostella. 6'3", 256. Bryce Mostella. No, he's not that big. <laughs> um, six, another 6'3". Is it? Uh, Tangelo is not that tall. Uh, is it... Is it Fisher? It is not. Bill? Remind me how big? 6'3", 256. So the same listed height and weight as Arnold Epichetti. 6'3", 256. Is it Koziah Izzard? It is oh, not. Oh, wait. I know who it is. It's Nick Tarburton. It's not Nick Tarburton. <sighs> Damn. Is it... Hansard? It's very, it's very telling, and it's not answered. It's very telling that all your uh, answers are defensive ends because that is Hakeem Beeman's listed height and weight. Mm. That dude's not playing. That dude's not playing defensive tackle. I don't care what anybody says. There's no way they're gonna put that dude in there, weighing the same as your speed rush end. There is absolutely no way. I think they're repping Beeman at end behind the scenes because I think he, they know what he can be. And I think they have great depth at defensive tackle. This whole idea that Hakeem Beeman is going to play this Kevin Givens kind of skinny guy in the middle or, or even Curtis Cawthorn to an extent. Do you know what Kevin Givens' weight was his senior year? He was like 290. Was he like 290? 290? He's 285. Yeah. So 30 pounds heavier than Hakeem Beeman and two inches shorter. So the bowling ball technique of a defensive tackle. And that's not. Hakeem Beeman. I think he's a guy they're going to line up outside and I think if he comes in it's going to be in that Etor Grossmatos role and obvious passing downs because he is strong enough to eat up space. So with that in mind, I feel pretty good about the depth across the board because I think between AK, Hakeem Beeman, Tarburton, and Smith Vilbert, really all you play are four defensive ends realistically for, for like more than and 15 snaps a game, and that might even be high for the fourth guy. So I feel pretty good about what they can get there. Defensive tackle, like I said, Nick, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm very high on P.J. Mustafer as well, and I think Derek Angelo can be an all-conference caliber player. Fred Hansard's a good player to have in there, and then Devon Elwes was getting more and more reps as the season went on last year. So there's your four for defensive tackle. So you're in a good spot up front, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'll have to eat crow on this very – high stakes podcast about my thoughts on Hakeem Beeman, but the fact that he is the same as Penn State's defensive end and the fact that you all guessed pretty much only defensive ends really tells me where he should be and where I expect him to be come mm. next Saturday afternoon. All right, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I've kind of weighed out my thoughts on the defensive line. Like, I, I'm, they're a unit that I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to, but I do think that they are really 
really hurt by who Penn State has in week one. Like, you know, we've said this plenty of times in the first two podcasts. You put anyone other than Wisconsin week one, and I'm I'm feeling better about them. But, you know, what? they've also, you know, Brent Pry has built up enough trust, I think, from Penn State fans to know that at the very least they're going to be able to win some battles up front. So at least there's that. And I think, like, there's just the symbiotic relationship between the defensive line and the front seven, like, Penn State, you, you thought of how infrequently they got home last year. That was because there were things to exploit in the secondary and the ball was just getting out of their hands quickly. I don't think that space is going to be there as much this year as we'll talk soon. And even if the defensive line isn't as talented as it was last year, which I think it might end up being a fair thing we can say, I think that they should be more productive. I don't know if I'll go out on the limb and say they'll be like – you know, crazy productive the year they had Carl Nassib, Anthony Zettel, and Austin Johnson levels of productive, but I think they'll be quite good. Uh, moving back to the linebackers, and uh, Nick, we'll start with you again. I think that there are also a decent number of question marks here, but as opposed to the question marks that we have along the defensive line where, you know, Maybe some worries. Maybe it's like, eh, okay, you know, they could be a fine unit. If they hit in this defense, in this linebacker room, who boy, they're going to be really good. Yeah, I'm not really worried about the linebackers terribly. I think it's a really good combination of types of talent. Um, we know that, like I said before, we know that uh, Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs are athletic freaks who whether it's this year for both of them or in the future, like they're going to be do it all linebackers at some point. We already know that Smith uh, can rush the passer and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. We saw Jacobs flash some potential as well. And like, like uh, Matt said before, Brooks is not a flashy guy, but he plays middle linebacker. You don't have to be flashy to play middle linebacker. As long as you can make the plays that are in front of you and just be kind of the cerebral center of the defense. And like you said, it's, Ellis Brooks has a knack for being around the football when the ball's on the ground and when big plays are there to be made. That, you know, it it started as a joke, the fact that he was always around those plays. But you also have to consider he's around those plays because he's a smart dude. He understands where he's supposed to be on the field. He's a really good player to have in the middle of those two. Like, would I prefer, like, a Jason Cabinda type to be between them? Yeah, of course. Jason Cabinda was a better football player, I think. But... I think Ellis Brooks is a fine middle linebacker to go between those two. And, you know, the fact that I think the defensive line will be pretty good, I think the secondary will be elite, it's going to give a little bit more leeway for Smith and Jacobs to find their way for Jacobs in his first year as a full-time starter and for Smith um, in his first year where he probably won't be babied as much on third downs and in pass coverage and whatnot. So I'm not worried about this group. I think this is going to be a really, really good linebacker group. And I think, you know, I like Brandon Smith. I think Curtis Jacobs, though, has a chance to be the next superstar in the linebacking core. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that, well, not unfortunate, maybe for us it is, uh, that Matt isn't on here uh, to talk about Curtis Jacobs. Uh, I'm saying, unfortunately for us and not for him, because Matt is in Hawaii right now. Um, and I would rather be in Hawaii than Columbus, Ohio, but that's just me. Uh, Matt, over Hot to take. You. 
Hot take. Yeah, that's right. I mean, literally hot. It's like 92 degrees outside and I start sweating the second I step out. It stinks. Uh, Matt, over to you. Uh, kind of the same question, just oozing potential out of this linebacker room. Yeah, for sure. And before I forget, Jesse Luketa, I think it's going to rep mostly at end. Um, I forgot to mention that in my whole little spiel because I got distracted by talking about Hakeem Beeman. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a remarkably talented group. Like I mentioned earlier, I think Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith, and Ellis Brooks, top to bottom, is the best starting three middle uh, linebacker unit we've seen from Penn State in a while. And that's not talking down like the Kambenda, Brandon Bell days, but I think the the best of Jacobs combined with the best of Brandon Smith sets the bar on a whole new level. And I, I'm of the opinion that your linebackers play their best when they can kind of run around with their hair on fire. And with how good this secondary can be, I think they're going to be able to do that a lot, especially on passing downs, especially on screens that have killed Penn State in the past. Like, I think these dudes can go out there and just focus on see ball, get ball. And that's not a luxury we've seen in, in a lot of the past years and seasons so the backups I, I like as a whole I think Tower Ellison's a guy who's gotten a lot of praise uh Luketa sure to get some reps at Mike too uh Kobe King I think is going to be a green light just purely for special teams purposes and then fight for a starting job in 2022 already um and, and that's a good group to be in I mean you really only play four or five and, and that's where I think Charlie Catcher is going to come in as your fourth guy who can play both uh Sam and Will so this is this is a fun group. Like I said before, if Pry can turn Smith into a first round pick and show Jacobs is maybe trending in the same direction, I think his stock for head coaching jobs could be through the roof. Um, you know, when we get into December and January of next year. Yeah, I I I certainly agree with all the stuff about the guys at the top of the linebacker depth chart. I am very interested in whether or not Penn State's able to get anything. With any sort of consistency out of anyone in that Charlie Catcher, uh, Jesse Lucetta, Tyler Elston uh, group, if they're or even, you know, we'll throw Kobe King in there just because why not? But just if they can get that one guy who's able to give them, uh, you know, just that little bit extra, uh, make it so they're not so overly dependent on three guys, uh, you know, passing downs, they'll take what I would imagine Brooks or Smith off. Uh, so they can have that nickel corner, but it, it's a room that I can't help but feel good about uh, as I kind of project things out. You know, again, uh, we'll repeat it. Like Wisconsin is going to be a really good first test for them, but there's enough talent in here to think that, you know, they might be able to get the job done. Uh, and then moving to the secondary, uh, we've spoken about it at length. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to switch up the question about our secondary uh, conversation. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. What is the thing about this secondary that excites you the most? And I'm going to make you do it first. And Nick, I'm going to present you the same question. It's just one of you had to get this, uh, this sprung onto you and Matt, it's going to be you. Oh, that's a good question. I think it's a fun mix of dudes. We know are, um, like Joey Porter jr. We know is good. Um, and I think it's also a fun mix of dudes who might be good, and that would be fun if they are. And there's always fun and mystery. Like, we think we know what Tariq Castro Fields is, but realistically, we haven't seen him healthy since 2018. I mean, 
that sound about right? Yeah, no, maybe 2019. It's been a while since we saw him healthy. So there's still a lot of mystery. Is he promising corner that we thought he was a few years ago? Daquan Hardy's a guy you want to root for. He's a guy who was probably Mac bound two days before signing day. And then he gets that late Penn State offer. Like you want to root for that guy. You want that guy to be successful. That That's exciting when he does well. Uh, John Dixon. You've got an SEC transfer who's played that I don't think that's ever happened for Penn State. And then Kalen King is a dude that people seem to adore. Um, the staff loves him. I honestly don't know if he's going to play a ton on defense. I'm sure he'll get his opportunities, but I think maybe like two or three series a game might be his his limit. Um, and then safety wise, like we know Brisker's good. Do we know how good? I don't know if he's all American good, but we know he's at least good. Um, and then we. Saw a lot of sorry. There's loud lightning and th- thunder. Lightning doesn't make noise. Thunder does. Uh, that's science right there. Um, but we know that uh, Jair Brown is a guy that we're all intrigued by because we saw what he could be. Keaton Ellis was a guy who I think was a freshman All-American two years ago. So we know what he can be. So anytime you have this fun mix of I know that guy's good and the guy next to him seems good. Let's find out. That's just gonna make for fun football to watch. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree, uh, Nick. Same question over to you. Like, what is it that excites you the most about this defensive backfield? It is Joey Porter Jr., him in and of himself. I think he has just an unlimited ceiling. I think, like, he, I know you made fun of the whole Seahawks thing before, but he is the closest thing to, well, I shouldn't say the closest. There have been other big corners, too, but he... He is the guy that I have seen at Penn State that has most resembled what the Legion of Legion of Boom really was. Big if I, dudes. If I, yeah, I was going to say, is that when you say that, is that a how he looks out on the field thing? Is that a how he plays thing? Like what? Where? Where? Where would you? It's where a, would you it's a combination that? of all of them. I mean, it one, it's his size. Two, it's how he plays. Three, the thing that really sets him apart, I think, is how he uses his arms. And he uses his length as a major advantage. And that's something that, you know, the Legion of Boom got a lot of a lot of like uh, criticism, like, oh, well, they just commit penalties on every play and bank on them not getting called every play. Yes, but it also looked that way because they were so active with their arms and their hands and they were had so much length to them that they could just abuse receivers in front of them. Joey Porter Jr. plays that style and I absolutely love watching it. I think he has a first round ceiling on him. I think he is an absolute superstar in the making. I love watching him play football. Yeah, I mean, do you think his go, go ahead. Sorry, do you think his do you think his floor is fourth round? Because that would make uh, sure. him the highest drafted corner Penn State's had in a long time. Because I was thinking about oh, that. Oh, I fully, I fully expect him to be the highest drafted. I mean, D- Tariq Castrofields could have a really good season this year potentially, and I think he could be a, a potential like third round guy. But yeah, I think Joey Porter Jr. is the will be the highest drafted defensive back on the current roster. Yeah, I mean, when you look well, at when you look at what NFL teams want out of cornerbacks what they want is they want guys who have who are long and who have some amount of uh athleticism and ability to read the game about them like it's you look at the guys who got drafted at 
in the first round of this last draft. Uh, J.C. Horn, 6'1", 200 pounds. Patrick Sertan, the second, 6'2", 202. Uh, Caleb, Fair, uh, Caleb Farley, 6'2", 197. Greg Newsom, 6'1", 190. Eric Stokes, uh, six foot. 194. Then you look at Joey Porter Jr. and he's coming to and at 6'2", 192. He has the physical profile that teams are looking for. He has that like dog mentality about him. I mean, the play of his that sticks into my mind last year was when Chris Olave caught that touchdown pass over him. And that was because Joey Porter Jr. could not have played that any more perfectly against one of the best wide receivers in college football and one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And it was just, that was the only thing. Perfection was the only thing that could beat him. And you see that he has, like, I'm always going to be this, a sucker for uh, sons of a former football player. And Ward knows his father was one hell of a football player. He just has it all there. Uh, but having said that, I'm actually going to go in a bit of a different direction. Uh, and I'm going to say Jaquan Brisker because all right, I'm going to pick my words carefully here. I think the fact that he played next to a guy in Lamont Wade who never should have been moved to safety and I think really struggled getting a grasp on that position meant a lot of people lumped him in with Lamont Wade. Uh, I think like – my gripes with Lamont Wade as a football player stem from the fact that he stepped on campus and he wasn't used as a cornerback from day one until his final day on campus. Um, but I think that when you saw how he struggled back there and how he you know, was a real home run hitter of a player back there, when you're the guy next to a home run hitter at safety, one of two things are going to happen. That guy's going to hit a home run. He's going to make the turnover, force the turnover. He's going to make the big play, or he's going to whip and you're put into no man's land. And I think this is an opportunity for a lot of Penn State fans, because I think a lot of Penn State fans like Jaquan Brisker. I think he's a nice player, but might have been caught off guard. At least I know our circle of Penn State fans, guys, uh, seem to be caught a bit off guard with how much praise he was getting as an All-American level player. And I want to see what happens when he's coming into this season with the hype and with the praise that he's getting, because I think he has the potential to be a real big hitter, real physical, real nasty dude in the back of that Penn State secondary. And he could be the guy who is basically the straw that stirs the drink for the basically the entire spine of Penn State's defense. But it's a group that I cannot wait to watch. We got a couple of questions from some of our readers, Nick. Start with you. Uh, question from Aaron. Uh, Aaron, I apologize if I don't pronounce this correct. Aaron uh, Lishtig. Uh, who starts at defensive end? I think it ends up being Ebikidi and I think Nick Tarburton is the first one out there with him. Really? Do do you think do you yeah. think that's just do you think that's just a bet on the fact that Tarburton's been in the program for as long as he's been? More or less, yeah. All right, that sounds fair. Um, Matt, what about yourself? Uh, apologize if you can hear the rain because it's really coming down and it's scary. I can um, hear. No, no, it's it sounds very uh, very relaxing. Can you hear it? Yeah, man. Nice. You totally can. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. Arnold Ebiketti for sure. Um. I'm excited. 
excited to see what he does at this next level, man. If he has a good year, he could be a he could be a sneaky guy in the draft. Um, and then I'm going Hakeem Beeman, um, mainly because I've I've planted my flag. Uh, on this take, so I kind of have to do this, but I think Akeem Beeman um, will be the first guy out there, and you can kind of put Tarburton as a co-starter, in my opinion. I think he's going to split his reps pretty equally, um, because again, like I mentioned, they really only have four dudes, um, and to keep everybody fresh, I think uh, all four, including Smith Filbert, are going to play. A- uh, I, yeah, you know, I'll I'll agree with Matt just because. He's made such a convincing argument. Uh, we got a question uh, while we were podcasting from uh, our pal at the Toaster. Uh, is it true that the best defense is requiring vaccinations for attendance? Yes, it is. I'm not going to kick this over to uh, Nick or Matt because I don't want them getting in trouble. But the stuff that I really want to say will get us in trouble with some people. So we're going to move on to the next question. Uh, CJ Scalzetti wants to know, who leads the team in sacks after AK? Uh, I, I assume... That means uh, Arnold Ebiquete. Uh, um, I think we, we got to start with, do we think he's going to be the guy who leads the team in, in sacks? And if he is, who do you have after him? And if he's not, who do you think is going to do it? Who's first? Uh, first one to say, ah, gets it. Ah, okay. Okay, go ahead. Um, I do think he does. I think he does lead the team in sacks. Um, after him... I I feel like it's just going to be a lot of like, I I feel comfortable penciling him in for six sacks, maybe, maybe seven. I think he'll fit in well with this defense. So I I feel comfortable projecting him there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that second on the team, I think there's going to be a cluster, but I'm going to say with five and a half sacks, it's Hakeem Beeman. Okay. Let's uh, go. uh, Matt, I'm sure that, uh, Excited you. Are you inclined to agree? Uh, I have AK second, and I have Akeem Beeman first. <laughs> I have no idea. I, he, he, dude, this guy was the best freshman on the field for Penn State last year. He was so good. I think people really forget because it's not fun to be like a third or the third defensive tackle on a four and five team, but I think Hakeem Beeman is so good at football. And it's ridiculous to me that he is not getting more love. The third-year bump is real, especially for defensive linemen. Like, this is a guy who I think can go out there and absolutely eat. So give me Hakeem Beeman to lead in sacks, and AK a close second, a very close second. And I will go with AK first. Uh, and I will actually go in a, a radically different direction for my second guy. I want to see them really let Brandon Smith fly around and make havoc plays because I think with what he is physically, uh, dude who is listed at 6'3", 241 with the athleticism that he has, the ability to uh, hit a dude and make them feel it, <laughs> I think is the way to put it. I, I mean, I still laugh at uh, the video from, I want to say, the Idaho game a few years back where uh, he hit someone and C.J. Thorpe dropped to his knees like he was overcome by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Smith is just the kind of guy who I think if they let him make big plays and he is a, he has it in him to make them. So I'll go a bit off the beaten path and I'll say him. Final question uh, from our pal at Lemon Tree Records. Will Nick Tarburton stay healthy enough to see the field consistently and will Jesse Lucetta break out at defensive end. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say let's skip the Tarburton one just because 
you know, we don't have crystal balls when it comes to a guy's health. Like we can say no and he'll play the entire season. We can say yes and he'll uh, get hurt in the first fight. Like we just don't know all I, we all hope for the best kind of season for Nick Tarburton. But Matt, I'll start with you. Will Jesse Lukita break out at defensive end? I think it depends on what you mean by breakout. Uh, if by have his best season, um, I think, yeah. I think he's better suited there. I think he's been out of place for a lot of his college career. Um, but I think he could be a guy to not make horrible mistakes. Um, and for a converted linebacker in his senior year, that's really all you're looking for. Um, do I think he'll get like all conference honors? No. Uh, um, but that's not to say he can't be a very productive player and, and make some plays that change the, the trajectory of a couple games for Penn State. And that's probably more than he's done um, throughout his time prior. So by that definition, I'd say yes. And then, uh, Nick, same same question to you. Uh, will Jesse Lukita break out at defensive end? No. I I don't see him playing more than a couple snaps per game at defensive end. Uh, I think predominantly in situations where they feel like they need extra run support along the edges. Um, I honestly I I would be I wouldn't be at all shocked if he had more linebacker snaps than defensive end snaps by the end of the year. Um, yeah, I understand he's been pretty much staying at defensive end, but no, I don't I don't think this is I don't think this swap is anything that's going to have too much of an impact on Penn State season. Uh, aside, uh, Nick, back in, uh, you know, you and I are old men in this industry at this point. Uh, was Jesse Lukita the kid you were talking to when they were a recruit when who they uh, you were talking to them 10 minutes before they were uh, going to announce their commitment? Was that him or was that someone else? That was him. It was pretty weird talking. And I asked yeah. him, I said, when are you thinking about committing? And he was like, ah, probably after this phone call. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> It, it, it did. It did end up taking a couple hours after that. Still, I'm sure he was probably yeah. getting his ducks in a row with graphics and all that. But it was pretty funny. Yes, that was a that was that was a fun day. Uh, fun day at blog. That was God. I'm not even going to look up when that was. But that would have been I think 2007, 16, 17, something like that. But uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was that was fun. It was before I, I got there. Yes, it was before you got to blog. I definitely yeah. know that. Uh, I am going to agree with Nick. I I think that's just asking so much of a dude to go from. Uh, go from linebacker to defensive end and have to learn a new position. And to do that at the very end of your collegiate career, I, I'm very confident that Jesse Lukita is going to, uh, you know, play his tail off wherever they put him. He's going to give 110% effort. He's going to do everything he can to make sure he's not negative. I mean, this is a dude who loves this program, who's given a lot to this program. Uh, and, I think I don't think he'll be great because it's just really hard to be great in that situation. But I think he will do uh, as admirable a job as you can do in that sort of situation. And, you know, if he ends up getting moved back to linebacker full time, he has to get moved back to linebacker full time. Uh, we will just see what ends up happening. Uh, so that's it. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts before I do the sign off? Not really. I just I think I am really optimistic about this defense. I think this is going to be a really, really impressive unit. And I think they are going to keep the floor for this Penn State team in 2021 pretty high. Uh, and then, Matt, final thing to you. Uh, any final thoughts, any final things you want to say about this defense? Uh, contrary to what I've said this podcast, I do not have an NIL deal with Akeem Beeman to hype him up. 
Um, no, this will be a good defense. Uh, it'll be a fun defense, and it'll keep them in games. And if the offense can get humming, this could be a, could be a fun season. I, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, that'll, that'll kind of be the focus of our last uh, Roar Lions Roar preview podcast. Uh, the two of you head over to Slack DM over the next minute to figure out who's going to say something and how that's going to work after I finish the spiel. Uh, but it's time for the spiel. No, no, Thank no, no, no. This is this is my job. <laughs> All right, Matt, we'll uh, we'll we'll you know, you can file a complaint to HR if you need to. Uh Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to us on any podcasting platform where you might get your podcast. If you go through Apple, head over there, leave us a five-star review. Uh, keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you are buying some T-shirts, got some shirts, want to send them out to you. Please, by all means, uh, go and purchase one or two or ten or something like that. Uh, make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, all those. Uh, and one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. From my co-hosts, Nick Polak and Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. If God had wanted games to end in a tie, he wouldn't have invented numbers.